This is Christian Book Blurb, brought to you by author and songwriter Matt McClary. Get a behind-the-scenes glimpse into the lives of some of your favourite Christian authors, hear about their books and faith. Also, why not check out my website, mattmcclary.com. Well, hello and welcome to the Christian Book Blurb podcast, where we like to encourage you in your discipleship one book at a time as we meet some amazing Christian authors and learn about their books, their lives and their faith. I'm your host, Matt McClary. Thank you so much for the pleasure of your company today. It's fantastic that you clicked play on this podcast and that you've joined us for this important discussion. Well, you know, Christmas is almost here. It's just around the corner. I hope you are getting yourselves ready for that amazing celebration. We might even be chatting to our guest a little bit about Christmas a bit later on. Um, But the book he's written isn't particularly about Christmas, although I do think it deals with a theme that is really important. And it might be something that a lot of us struggle with at this time of year. So my guest today um, is an award-winning author. He's written more than 80 books, and some of them have even been turned into movies, and you might have even watched some of them. We'll chat more about a little bit about that a bit later on in the show, so you've got that to look forward to. Today, I'm going to be talking about the topic of forgiveness with the author Chris Fabry. Hi, Chris. Great to meet you, Matt. Thanks for having me on today. I'm so excited that you're with us on the show today. Um, it's really great to have you. And I, I, don't you love technology? How I'm sitting here in the UK and you're over there in the States and we can we can have this conversation and make this podcast. It's wonderful. Yeah, I love technology. I, I, I love to rail against it sometimes. But when this happens, <laughs> you know, when, when COVID happened and everybody kind of went home, it was like everybody... Uh, got a microphone now and so we can actually hear each other even better and clearer so uh, there were some upsides to all of the the downsides to the pandemic but uh yeah it's great to great to get to talk with you over the internet yeah it's wonderful and you have just released a new novel called saving grayson and um one of the main themes that kind of runs throughout the book Um, is that of forgiveness. So if it's all right with you, I just wanted to start there. Um, Chris, why is forgiveness so important? I think it's something that we all crave, that we all want. Um, What I, what the way that I couch this is how can I live forgiven? Because what I, what I discover in my own life is that I don't often live forgiven. I live in guilt. I live in shame. I live in regret from the past. I got all this stuff hanging over me that I, I can't let myself off the hook for, let alone the people around me and let alone then God. So how do you, how do you get forgiveness? How do you really live forgiven? And a lot of people will say, if you do something bad in your life, you know, how do you how do you get forgiveness? But how do you forgive yourself? And I cap, uh, turn that around and, and capture it this way. I'm really not talking about how I forgive myself. I'm talking about how can I receive the forgiveness that is being offered me, which I cannot work for and I cannot earn. How do I live in that and live from the inside out? 
so that's you know that's the way that I couch that whole thing because if you are for if you truly are forgiven and if you believe that you're going to live differently you're going to interact differently with the people you care about that you come into contact with every day you're going to forgive more often than if you've hadn't received forgiveness. So it's this pool that we swim in that we don't really even know that we're there. Why do we need it? Because we have a, I think, an inner desire to be right, to be, um, to be okay. You know, I'm okay. You're okay. We, we can redefine it, you know, say it doesn't matter what you do, but we all have this inner sense of, you know, that's wrong. What that, that kid did to me in the sandbox is wrong. <laughs> is wrong. That shouldn't happen. You see world events, you see rulers, you see uh, in, in the last few months, we've seen this in the Middle East. It's like, that's not right. What? And so we have that inner thing of it's not right, but most of the time we think of it out there, you know, the bad stuff that was out there. Then we come into our own hearts and we say, I'm not right myself. I, you know, I do things that I, Paul says that in Romans 7, what the thing I want to do, I don't do a thing I do, I don't want to do. <laughs> How a wretched man that I am. What, what This struggle that is going on all the time. So we need it for that, not only the, the feeling inside, but to assuage that desire we have to be right, to be holy. Uh, and we can't get there ourselves. At least I haven't been able to. Mm, yeah. And let's sort of turn this on its head for a minute. Rather than talking about forgiveness, what about unforgiveness? What happens if we don't forgive? What, what, you know, what could happen to us if we hold on to this, this bitterness, this kind of, you know, you did this to me and I can't forgive you for that, whatever it is. Um, what, what does that do to us? It does exactly what you say. It's a poison that you drink yourself. <laughs> you know, it's like you're trying to, you're thinking this, not forgiving this person over here or a group of people, whomever, you think it's doing something to them and it's not doing anything, really. It's, it's doing it to yourself. And so the greatest way to show love to yourself is to embrace forgiveness, not only for you, but also for other people who do things that you have done or or haven't you know i'm i'm in the middle of writing a different story another story and there's a, a storyline that comes in here of just this gross of uh, mistake that a person has made who has received that kind of forgiveness and doesn't know what to do with it you know doesn't know how to live with it i don't deserve this and i that's what i hear often from people who talk about god they'll say um I'm too bad for God to forgive. You know, I'm, I've done so many bad things in my life uh, and, I, and I don't deserve his forgiveness. I could never receive his forgiveness. And what they're saying, although they don't understand, what they're saying is I'm special. I am worse than anybody else. So it's this re it's reverse form of pride that keeps us away from the love that God has extended to us, that all we need to do is receive it, allow it to change us on the inside so that then we can extend that to other people. 
Mm-hmm. That's that's really the goal. I think for, for my Christian life, my goal is for God, change me from the micro to the macro. Change me in here so that I don't just get mad at people who cut me off in traffic and you know whatever it is, the thing that's ha- happening to me today. Help me to be able to extend the same forgiveness that you've given me, the same love you've given me that I don't deserve. Help me to, to extend that to other people. And only God can do that kind of work on the inside, I think. Mm, yeah, that's really good. I'm in your book, Saving Grace, and um, one of the characters called Sam, um, he says this. He says, talk of forgiveness galled Sam. People spoke of it like candy you tossed in anyone's pillowcase who rang the bell. To Sam, it was like giving a million dollars you didn't have to someone who didn't even ask. Why do you think it's so difficult for some people to forgive? I love hearing my words come back to me because, <laughs> you know, you, you write something and it, it kind of sticks on the page and it, it uh, makes it through the editing process. And then and then it comes back to you. There's a million dollars you don't have to give to somebody who didn't yeah. ask you for it. Um, I, I think it's so difficult to forgive because, you know, we, we'll go right back to it because you haven't received it. I don't think you can. I don't think that you can give what you've never received and it never experienced you you know a person who has never experienced a day at the beach like c.s lewis talked about you know and, and has always played in the mud at home and hasn't experienced the breadth of the ocean and the sand and that you know that feeling of how immense that is and only has been in the mud puddle you cannot live from that bigger pool, that that joy, that unspeakable kindness of God to give us, you know, a vacation, a holiday at the beach, because we're so mired in the mud puddle. Um, so it takes a work of God, I think, to open our eyes to do that. And that's the hard work. You know, and that's where I lean on the spirit of God to do that in my life and in others. And I guess the beautiful thing of that illustration is that... Um, we all can experience this forgiveness. Um, we don't. We don't have to wait for a family member to forgive us before we can forgive, because God has offered us this ultimate forgiveness through His Son Jesus Christ, um, and that's offered to everybody, wherever you are in the world. So, so we all have access to the ocean, as you as you used in your image. Um, so. Th- we can experience forgiveness and then as you say that can then enable us to then forgive others can i just say something too about matt the sam's observation and Mm. that is you know it's just kind of candy that's tossed around i i when i talk about forgiveness and you know living living forgiven i don't mean that it's easy I don't mean that you just, you know, forgiveness is just, I forgive you and I forgive you and I forgive everybody else and I forgive everybody in the world and it's just, you know, I'm fine. If you've gone through a betrayal, if, if someone has harmed you physically, if someone has taken the life of someone you love, you know, it's, it, it is deep, difficult stuff. Yeah. And I don't want to be glib about it, like Sam, and, and as he looks at the church, that's what he hears. I have known people 
There was a, a famous pastor who I spoke with back in the 1980s, and his mother had been hit by a drunk driver and was killed. And this fellow, he had real struggles <laughs> with the forgiveness thing. And he, he decided, this is not something that I feel. This is a choice that I make. And part of the choice that he made to forgive was going and seeing the fellow, you know, going and walking into that prison, sitting across from him and saying, I forgive you. I had another example of another person whose husband, husband was killed by a drunk driver. And after the trial, the woman who was responsible for her husband's death reached out to her and said, would you forgive me? Would you consider forgiving me? And she said, I'm a Christian. I know I'm supposed to do this, but I don't feel like it. I, you know, I've got a struggle here. I've got a hurdle. And I think that the hurdle is God allowing us to work out our faith, work out our salvation. Not that you work for your salvation, but you're working out, what is it that I really believe here? What, what is it that, that God has given me, if I can't extend that to somebody else, as hard as this is, what does that say about me and what I believe about him? And so mm-hmm. as you get over that hurdle, and it's a process and it can take a long time, uh, for some people, it's, you know, smaller things can be easier to do than others. But for, it, it, just because it takes a long time doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven. Just because you feel, you know, you wake up in the morning and you think of that person and what they did and you think, oh, oh God, now I remember that. That doesn't mean you don't forgive them. It just reme- it means you're still in the process of forgiving them uh, because you don't forget, you know, except for Grayson. Grayson, Grayson is forgetting a lot because of <laughs> yeah. his diagnosis. But yeah. we don't forget. Forgiveness is not just forgetting everything. It's putting what you remember under the grace and mercy that God has given you. Mm, Yeah, that's really good. And that's one of the things that comes through in the book um, is this this whole concept, not even concept, but kind of you see the characters wrestling with their forgiveness and they're doing something about it, but it's definitely a choice. And in, in lots of different ways, it's really difficult for everyone involved really um even even grayson who's forgetting things he's he's finding it really tough as well but along with this forgiveness in in the book you also get a sense of reconciliation in the story accompanied by practical actions do you think forgiveness needs to include some sort of practical or or physical action or is it just enough to i don't know forgive them in your heart (laughs) i think it's a both and You know, I think there are some people, you know, let's say you have someone who has hurt you, wounded you, and they passed away. You can't do something physical for them. You might visit their grave, you know, and, uh, and put flowers there or something like that, but you can't, you can't mend that relationship. And that's the other thing about that's the, the problem with forgiveness is that we think forgiveness and reconciliation are the same thing. That if I forgive, you know, first of all, the other person has to say they're sorry and be really, and they have to say it right, you know, (laughs) they have to be really penitent, really mean it. And once they say they're sorry, then I make the choice. And then we come together and sing Kumbaya and eat cotton candy and it's all good. 
And that's, I, I don't know about you, but that ain't the way it's worked in my life. Yeah. Um, there is this sense of, you know, if I've done something to somebody else, there's this sense of penitence, there's a sense of, I, I need to, to express what's here. But if I'm on the receiving end of the bad thing that's done, I feel like the, the hard work goes on in here and it works itself out. Uh, much like the same thing of if I give my heart to Christ, you know, come into my heart and live in my heart, Jesus, and forgive me of my sin and be Lord of my life. You know, I can keep that in here. It has to work itself out in the way I treat others, in the opportunities that I have to, you know, somebody asks me, why are you so different? What's the, what's the deal with you? If I skirt Christ's work in my life, I, you know, if I put him on the back burner, on an airplane and somebody says, you know, what kind of, what do you do? You know, I write, write books. And what kind of books do you write? Hmm. I write fiction. <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> I don't say a Christian fiction or th the themes of forgiveness and that kind of thing. And sometimes you have to gauge, you know, where the person is. Um, but, you know, I can, I can kind of deny my faith. It, it works itself out in these ways and sometimes really creative ways. I've heard really creative ways about, how people have forgiven or how a person who has wounded someone else, how that person has simply opened the door to the relationship, knowing I could get hurt again, but, but believing enough in them that they're going to move back toward that person without having ever said anything. Um, without, you know, really dealing with the thing and just, just kind of opening the door, moving toward them. That's a, an element of forgiveness in a heart as well that, mm -hmm. you know, down the road, you might have uh, longer conversations about what happened. Mm. That's really helpful. We've already kind of hinted at, um, Grayson's diagnosis, um, earlier on and, Obviously, this is kind of what the the whole book is about. Um, but the main character um, suffers with Alzheimer's. And I think you do a great job of giving uh, the sense of, of confusion and loss and frustration that someone living with the disease um, might experience. And, you know, Christmas time, when this podcast episode's going out, there might be family members who, who are, you know possibly getting together with people with Alzheimer's who they might not have seen in a while or or it's something that they deal with every day. Um, so because you wrote it so well, the first question I wanted to ask is, have you had experience of someone you know who has suffered from this before? Yeah, you know, in, in my family, extended family, I've experienced this. I've experienced it a lot with the radio program that I do and the folks that come on and the callers who call who are saying right in the middle of this, you know, I'm driving my mother for her hair appointment and she doesn't remember what's going on. But I had a friend, um, we lived in Colorado for a number of years, and this is like the best friend that you could ever have because he had every tool in the world that his dad and his granddad had handed down to him, and I didn't have any. And he knew how to use them too, which I didn't yeah, know. Yeah, that helps. Um, <laughs> yes. And uh, he hunted, he fished, he took me and my sons with him. We'd go to these mountain lakes and streams and fish and it was just so much fun well we moved to arizona a few, few hundred miles away 
And, uh, and he came, he and his wife came and lived here after all of his kids kind of flew the nest. And one day we were sitting around, he was actually selling his, his car and we were going to buy there this, uh, this really nice car for my daughter. And he said, you know, this, uh, Alzheimer's thing that they say I have means that. And I looked up at his wife and she, she, her eyes locked at me on mine and she said, he doesn't talk about this with, with anybody. He doesn't tell anybody about mm. what's going on. So it was the early stages that we have, um, have, have gone through with him, observing him. And then eventually he and his wife moved uh, to another state and they're uh, caretaking uh, for her mom. But the, the journey that I've gone through with him, with phone calls and, and things that, you know, he, he doesn't remember anymore, but he still remembers my name, Christopher, he looks like, Christopher, <laughs> Mr. Jim, I'll say. And the things that the, the process that he is, the hard process that he's going through caused me to think, what would it be like for someone who's going through this? I've seen things that happen to the other members of the family, but what would it be like for him to tell from his point of view what he's feeling, what he's thinking? So the, the device that the novel is based around is I've got a, a character that I can't depend on to be able to tell me what reality is. He knows what the truth is. He knows what he remembers and what he thinks of everything that's going on. But he doesn't know the real truth about it because of his condition. So I write the story mostly from his point of view. And then you get to see the others who are around him, the family members, the friends, and the people who don't like him very much back in the old town where he's gone to solve this mystery you know, of, of his life. Um, I just found it really engaging to jump into his life and try to to write the story from that center. I really enjoyed reading it. It was a great, great book. And it's called Saving Grayson. Again, if you're listening to this podcast, do go and check out Chris Fabry's new novel, Saving Grayson. It's really good. Thank you for sharing how Alzheimer's has affected you personally. Can you give any advice to anyone listening who might be going through dealing with or living through having a family member who has Alzheimer's. So how can we love people well who have Alzheimer's? You know, I, I, I can't give advice. You know, it, it, it would seem, um, seem wrong of me because I'm not living it, but I can tell you what others have said to me, family members, uh, doctors, um, professionals who deal with this. And I think the number one thing that I picked up from them was don't do this alone because you will isolate yourself. You'll want to isolate yourself because you don't want the other people in the family to, to experience what you're experiencing. And if you stay isolated like that, it will just eat your lunch. And you need, I have a friend who uh, is a widow, and she said, you need your, your board of directors, you need your counselors around the table, and pick them, choose them well, because you've got to have them walk through some really deep waters with you and be there when you just need to scream, you know, and, or cry, or get, be prostrate straight on the floor. Um, 
So, so get some people around you that you know you can trust, that you know care for you, that you can lean on, and don't let that go. Uh, let that be one of the first things you do because you're going to need them. Um, it's going to be hard enough going through it with them around you. And the other thing that kept coming up was the expectation of, you know, what's going to happen. You're living with this person kind of moving away from you. You're on the dock and they're in the boat right next to you, but they're just kind of slowly moving away. The long goodbye, it's cold. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've heard is the the expectations that you have of this person getting frustrated when they don't remember, or this is the fifth time that you've, you know, you've said this to them in the last five minutes, they ask the same question over and over and over again, to be able to suspend the judgment of that and the frustration that is in there, to be able to love well, to be able to not scold, but simply go along with them. And really, that's one of the things that the book is about. They kind of let Grayson pave the way for them. They, they kind of let him lead them instead of them trying to corral him. And, you know, that works well sometimes and sometimes it doesn't because he's just this force <laughs> of nature, you know. Uh, but th those are the two things that come to mind. That's really great. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. We'll be back chatting a bit more with Chris Fabry right after these. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm author Matt McClary. My new book, The Prison Letters, a 40-day devotional for Lent, will take you on a thematic journey through the books of Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. Packed full of personal anecdotes and wisdom, the message Paul conveyed to his readers during his imprisonment is brought to life. The Prison Letters devotional is available now from my website, mattmcclary.com, and wherever good books are sold. Get your copy today. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, you can help keep it on the web. All you've got to do is buy me a coffee. Head over to buymeacoffee.com slash to make a donation. There is a link in this episode's show notes. So go on, buy me a coffee today and help this podcast to keep supporting Christian books and authors. Hello, welcome back to the Christian Book Blurb podcast. I have been chatting with the author Chris Fabry about his new novel called Saving Grayson just before the interval. Um, but Chris, what we like to do in this part of the show is get to know the author a little bit better. Um, we've got to know your characters and things through your books. Um, but who is Chris Fabry? Um, do you write full time? Is that your full time job? Or, you know, do you do other things as well? I have a little company that I started, and years and years ago, I named it Just Right Productions Incorporated, because that's what I wanted to do, was just right. But when I was a teenager, I, I got a job at a radio station, a local radio station in the little town where I lived in West Virginia, so I grew up in West Virginia, and radio has followed me all through the years, and I do it 
because, you know, some people say because you're good at it. So some people say I'm trying to get it. <laughs> I'm trying to get it right every time I, I go on the air. <laughs> but I just love talking with people. I love talking with guests. I love I love being talked to as well, Matt. Thank you. Um, but it's something that has hung on with me. And so every day, I Monday through Friday, I do a one-hour talk show on Moody Radio from Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. It's called Chris Fabry Live. And uh, my wife and I were married in 1982, and we're still together after 40 years. Uh, let see, December 18th is our 41st anniversary. Um, we have nine children. And yet, if anybody asking, yes, we do know how it works, because that's always the question <laughs> you get. Um, and they are from, and the next question is how old? 38 to 22 now. And we still have three uh, with us who haven't flown yet. And that keeps us uh, running and jumping and doing all the things. My wife always wanted to have a farm. Now, I grew up on a farm. She grew up, her dad sold insurance, and so they moved all, all around the states. Um, but she has always wanted chickens and goats. And so we have three goats, 10 chickens, and a covey of quail because she eats the quail eggs that come from that yeah, in our yeah. backyard, uh, in the fence backyard with the snake fence around it, too. We had to get the rattlesnake fence because they were getting through. I was going to say, what type of snakes do you get? Rattlesnakes. One rattlesnakes. Great. Yeah, diamondbacks, they're, they're, they're just gorgeous animals. But, you know, I like to look at them on TV, not in my yeah, backyard. From a distance, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, do you have time for, for fun and hobbies and that sort of thing? What do you like no to time. do on a day? Absolutely day? not. I just from the time I wake up until the time I go to bed, I'm just... That's been one of my uh, things that's held me back, I think, Matt, is that I have... I have this very strong work ethic that my father was, he was a part-time farmer and he worked at a chemical plant. So he was just working all the time. And that's what I saw modeled in front of me. And so I've gotten a lot of the, the fun that I have is the work that I do, both radio and voice work. And I do audio books and that kind of thing. And then the writing that I do, I have so much fun with that, that it, you know, I can always be on, I can always be, be doing something in, along those lines or, and I love to read, but I, a lot of times I find myself reading to figure out, well, how did they do that? You know, what, what's their process and how they plot with this. And so reading for fun is, is, is hard for me to get over. I got to kind of switch, put a switch in the, uh, in the head to do that. Um, but that's that, you know, I, I came from a small town in West Virginia. I moved to Chicago. We moved to Colorado and now Arizona. And there's been a lot, an awful lot of life that's gone on in those 40 years. And I could, I could talk more about that, but I won't. <laughs> so you talk quite a bit about fly fishing in the book. Is that something you've done before? Or did you have to do a whole load of research to, to get, get the descriptions right because from from a sort of a layman's point of view reading the book i think oh this guy knows what he's talking about um, <laughs> is it something you've done or did you just you know ask a lot of people a lot of questions i know enough to want to do it you know i i, I know i've read enough norman mclean you know uh, a river runs through it to to see it from a distance and just honor it and see it as the art that it is. My friend Jim that I mentioned just a minute ago who has Alzheimer's is a fly fisherman. And I've got a picture of him standing in the river with his hat on with the flies in there. And um, it's, it's just this glorious 
human and nature melding thing that I never learned as a kid. We had a couple of ponds near our farm and they they were like cow ponds, but there were some bass and bluegill in there. And uh, we'd go out and get the worms and put the bobber in and, you know, and catch and catch some fish that way. But I never, I never understood the, the motion. I could never get the coordination of it. Uh, I had an uncle who came and he took this contraption up there. It's like, what in the world are you doing, Uncle Willie? He said, this is fly fishing. And he had the same <laughs> thing, had the hat and the vest and everything. And he would be putting that lure, that little fly, right on top of the water, letting it sit there for just a second, then pulling it off again and back at the same spot so that it would mimic what an actual fly does. And then what I love about fly fishermen is so many times they'll catch a fish, they'll look at it, they'll just see how gorgeous it looks, take the hook out and then let it go. Uh, which is, again, this symmetry of human and creation and the beauty of it. Uh, but, you know, all of, all of that's research. I haven't, haven't been able to figure that out yet. <laughs> well, you write it really well, so thank you. Um, have you got anything coming up? Can we get a sneaky peek into sort of a forthcoming <laughs> project? Because that, that's always quite exciting. Well, I have been working the last few years with some fellows named Kendrick, and they have made some films, uh, War Room, Overcomer, um, Life Mark, and I took their script and their film and put it into book form for them, with them. Alex Kendrick has the ideas, Alex and Steven mainly, have these ideas, they get them onto into film, and then I work with Alex about the, the you know, the, the new idea and what's there. Mm. Uh, and what I like to say is, you know, people ask, you know, is that is that hard to have somebody else come up with the idea and you kind of run with it? And I say, no, it's actually easier to do that because they've made all the hard decisions. <laughs> you know, they've made all the, <laughs> the plot lines and what happens and what explodes or if it does or not and the relational aspect of it. They've already made those decisions. So they put the fence line up. What I get to do is get in the pasture and just play around and ask questions. Well, why does that, why does Miss Clara live in that house? She's all alone and she's on the second floor. She's going to fall and break a hip. What's, what's going on with that? And so I ask these questions about the characters and the situations and try to flesh out when you watch a movie, what is she thinking in this scene? I get to come up with that with the, the Kendrick's mm. blessings. And so I am working on a new film that comes out in 2024. It'll be out in August of 2024 here in the States, I assume in your area at some point around there. Um, that is just this, you know, it's, it's the same redemptive story, but in a, in a little different way than they've told before. Uh, so I'm, I, that's all I can tell you. Can't tell you. Uh, more you, than that. you can't tell me the title. I, you know, I'm going to hold back on that. Cause I, okay. I just looked this morning and they still haven't revealed what the title is yet. Fine. But all right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, anyway, well, that's exciting. Anyway, we'll have to keep <laughs> we'll have to keep our sort of eyes open for for a Kendrick film coming out um, later on in 2024. Well, thank you for that. That's really exciting. Um, just before we go, though, where can people find out about you or connect with you or buy your books? Have you got websites or any of that kind of stuff? 
I do. It's it's pretty easy. If you can spell my last name, Fabry, F-A-B-R-Y, chrisfabry.com, you can see links in there. You can see the books that I have written. Uh, this is Saving Grace, and I think is my 84th published book. So I've written a lot of children's books, you know, back in the day with Jerry Jenkins, Tim LaHaye, the Left Behind series, and others. But this was what I really wanted to do, write novels for adults, to, because that's what I love to read. Uh, so if you go to chrisfabry.com, or you can find me on Facebook, uh, or the radio program Chris Fabry Live, look me up. I think you'll find me. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Chris. It's really been a pleasure to have you on the show today. And thank you for, for chatting with me. And as it's December, have a very Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you. And, and may that uh, the real reason for the season penetrate your heart and mine this year and the rest of the year. Thank you, Chris. And thank you as well for listening to this episode of the Christian Book Blurb podcast. Don't forget, this podcast comes out twice a month on the 1st and on the 15th. So we will have a really exciting episode coming out for you in the new year as well. So do keep a lookout for that. New Year's Day, isn't that something to look forward to? And New Year's Day is going to be our 50th episode. So something really special um, planned for that. So do join us for that one. Um, But thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Christmas yourselves. And I can't wait to have you join us again for another episode of the Christian Book Blurb, where I'll be talking to another Christian author about their books, their life and their faith. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to Christian Book Blurb with your host, Matt McClary. Do give it a like, give it a share and let your friends know all about it. We do hope to see you again soon on another Christian Book Blurb.